Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Heartway. My name's Raphael. I am one of the servant leaders here, and so thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you, Danny, for allowing me this opportunity. You know, tomorrow is actually the um, one-year anniversary since I gave my, my first message here. And so I'm excited to be sharing with you guys again today. Uh, before we get started, I'd just like to open up with a moment of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing me this opportunity. And thank you, Jesus, for leaving the 99 to come and find me. Lord, I ask you to bless this word, not for the 99, but for the one who needs to hear it. Holy Spirit, move in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. (sighs) A different story. You know, this is a principle that I've been putting into practice for a couple of years now. And in one way or or another, I feel like we've kind of talked about this concept here at Heartway before. And so what I want to do is kind of go deeper, break it down in a way that really allows us to apply it into our lives. So I want to start with a very simple scripture from the book of Proverbs. If you could put the first slide up. So it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or for you ladies, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. So what it's telling us is that we're always going to act according to the dominant thought in our minds, or according to the story that we tell ourselves. The problem for most of us is that when we encounter negative circumstances, the story that we usually tell ourselves is a negative one. We have the tendency to play out the worst case scenario in our minds. But uh, Romans 12, 2, if you could put that scripture up, tells us, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's a very famous scripture. We quote it all the time. But what I want to highlight is that before you can be transformed and renewed, you have to first understand and identify what are the patterns that you're conforming to? What's the story that you're telling yourself? This is why when we face negative circumstances and we feel those negative emotions come up, right? We feel the the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the doubt, whatever's coming up in that moment, Sit with that for a moment. Don't just let that moment pass you by because it has actually come to teach you something about yourself. It helps you to identify the pattern that you're conforming to. It helps you to identify the story that you're telling yourself. This is why I've learned to bring all of these emotions to God in prayer. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me to identify the root thought or the story behind the emotion. And it's then when I identify the story that I'm telling myself is when I can choose to tell myself a different story. So how do we actually do that? Well, 
The way I did it is by meditating on God's word or a word from God, and I'll explain the difference in a moment, as well as meditating on who God is, his nature, his character, and lastly, through worship. So I want to give you a couple of just quick, practical, everyday examples on how I identify the emotion and then how I use this principle to tell myself a different story. Uh, if you could put the next scripture up. <clears throat> so the, the Bible tells us to meditate on God's word. But it's important to understand what the Bible means when it says meditate. You see, what we think of when we hear meditate is very similar to what we just did with Centering Prayer, where we quiet our minds, we focus on our breath, right? But when the Bible uses the word meditate, it's actually a more active process. See, the term in Hebrew was also used to describe how a cow chews the cud. And so when I looked into this, I learned that what a cow does is that it repeatedly chews its food until it kind of grinds it into a very liquid state. It'll actually swallow it, regurgitate it, chew it again, and then swallow it again. Okay, yeah, kind of nasty, right? But think about, the, <laughs> think about the process that it's going through, right? It's trying to fully extract all the nutrients available in its food, and it's trying to prepare the food for it to be received and, and to more easily digested by its body. And so if we apply that concept to meditating on God's word, well, what he's asking us to do is to chew on his word repeatedly, so to speak. Right? so that we can fully extract all the nutrients available therein. What are those? Right? There, well, there's healing, there's comfort, there's encouragement, there's wisdom, there's revelation, there's insight. There's so much that God is trying to give to us. So if we read it once or twice, yeah, we may get something out of it, but we won't be able to fully extract all that it has to offer. So what I've learned to do is when I'm meditating on a particular passage or um, you know, meditating on, on one of the promises of God, I've learned to commit the word to memory. Right? I like to declare it out loud. I like to bring that word in prayer to God. I also keep a gratitude journal while I often thank God for the manifestation of that promise in advance. So this is the process by which I repeatedly chew on his, on his word. And I think it's very important to declare it out loud. You see, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So faith doesn't come by seeing. Too many of us are waiting to see it, to believe it, but faith comes by hearing. And so what I've learned is that when you hear yourself consistently declaring God's word over your life, what happens is that there's going to come a moment where you speak faith into an area in your life or a place within your heart where there's currently doubt, where there's currently fear. And this newfound faith will actually inspire you to take a step in faith, to take action in faith that you otherwise would not take in doubt. And it's very important because unless the faith we have actually causes us to move in the direction of that which we are believing for, we'll never see the physical manifestation of that promise in our lives. And so uh, I want to give you, again, give you a couple examples of, of how I uh, applied this. So a couple of years ago, I found myself going through a season where I was feeling a lot of regret. And then I realized that the regret was a direct result of, uh, and it wasn't, let me back up, the regret was due not, not for what I felt were past mistakes, but for what I felt were missed opportunities. And I realized that I was telling myself, oh, that was a one in a lifetime opportunity. I'm never gonna see that opportunity again. And so, of course, if I'm telling myself this, then no wonder I felt regret. 
But then I started to think about and to meditate, as I'm telling you guys to do today, on who, who God is, right, and how he's an infinite God. Right? So if he's an infinite God, then he cannot run out of opportunity. Psalm 20, if you could put that scripture back up, Psalm 26, 11, I mean, 16, 11 says, In your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are blessings forevermore. Right? So there's, he doesn't run out of blessings. Right? He doesn't run out of favor. There's always more that he's trying to do in us, always more that he's trying to give to us. So as this became the story that I told myself, the regret started to go away. But then I noticed it started to come back, and that's when I learned that sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves have layers. You see, it's not just that I was telling myself, oh, that was a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but I was also saying that if I didn't miss that opportunity, I would have been further along by now. I would have been more successful by now. I would have made more money by now. And then, you know, Danny was up here preaching one time, and, and this is the difference between the Word of God and a word from God, right? The Word of God is the Bible, but a word from God can come through a pastor preaching, it can come through the Bible, it can come through any means that God chooses to, to speak to you. And so he's up here pre preaching one time, and he was giving us his definition of faith, and this happened right as I was going through this uh, process. And he was saying that his definition of faith is accepting what is, and that as he looks back, he trusts that whatever happened is exactly what needed to happen, and his evidence for that is that it happened, right? It's so simple, but it's very profound. In other words, if something different should have happened, then something different would have happened, right? And so in that moment, I just remember receiving that, and I used that to tell myself a different story. So whenever... Thereafter, whenever I found myself looking back with regret, I simply smiled and said, it had to be that way. <laughs> it had to be that way. And this is so simple, but it's so effective. Because what happened is the regret went away, and I began to trust, number one, God is infinite. There's always more that he's trying to give me, more opportunities. And whatever happened is exactly what needed to happen. Another time, I... I I uh, was dealing with a lot of indecision to the point where I was paralyzed with fear. I didn't, I didn't want to decide, right? I, was, I had some very big decisions that I had to make, and, you know, I was, you know, should I buy a home? Um, I had to save them some money, so, you know, how do I invest it? Should I invest it? I was also already, you know, thinking about proposing to my wife, and so um, I realized that the fear that I was feeling, right, is because I was telling myself, okay, well, what if I buy a home and the market crashes? What if I invest my money and I lose all my money? What if I propose to her and she says no or I'm not ready, right? So I'm playing out the worst case scenarios in my mind and then to the point where I, didn't, I was afraid to decide, which in and of itself is a decision, right? To not decide is a decision. And so I'm listening to this sermon online and Again, I don't remember what the, the message was, but I do remember this particular part where he quoted a scripture from Isaiah, if you can put that scripture up. It was crazy because I, I read Isaiah, but I don't recall ever reading or hearing this particular scripture. And he says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so as I began to meditate on that over and over, what was God saying to me? Because it really moved me in the moment. What I realized, obviously, the right or left are the alternative options that we have, the choices that we have available at any given time. And it's not that both are the correct options, 
But what he was telling me and the way I interpret it is that if I choose correctly, I'm going to hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. But if I choose incorrectly, I'll hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. Right? You hear the difference? And so I began to, to have this new sense of confidence. As this became the story that I told myself, I found myself being able to decide um, choose decisively, trusting that if I chose correctly, God will confirm it. If I chose incorrectly, God will redirect me. And so no matter what, I'm going to end up exactly where I need to be. Amen. Another time. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Another time, this is several years back. Um, and this is during what I call my wilderness season. If you weren't here when I preached my message, when I talk about my wilderness, it's a period of time from the end of 2018 to the end of 2019 where I was fired from my job. I was forced to live off my savings as I tried to start my own book of business from scratch. Um, the, the money wasn't coming in, so I kind of depleted everything that I had. It was a really tough time financially, but I, it was also a time where I was struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. So very, very uh, tough season in my life. And during this season, I often felt like giving up. Not to the point where I was suicidal, thank God, but uh, giving up on my dreams, giving up on that which I was trying to pursue, right? Giving up on breaking the addiction. And I realized that the feeling of giving up was because I was telling myself, oh, it's never gonna happen for me, right? I'm never gonna make this. I'm never gonna break this addiction. I'm never gonna get to the to the success that I'm trying to have. So of course, if that's the story that I'm telling myself, then no wonder I felt like giving up. And you know, this is why, like, when I say like, God can speak to you any way he wants to, so I was listening to a podcast that, podcast that had nothing to do with faith or you know, Christianity, but it was about entrepreneurship. And the interviewer said that um, in his study of different entrepreneurs and their st story, he realized that Many, many of them had a moment or a season in their journey where they too felt like giving up. And, but somehow they found the will to you know, try, give it one more try, to make one more call, to knock on one more door, and that one more ended up proving to be the breakthrough that they needed. And so what he learned is that most people give up right before they make it. And so what I, what, in that moment, I just remember just like I feeling like God was speaking to me because I felt like giving up. And so I began to use that to tell myself a different story. So every moment thereafter, when I, when I felt like giving up, I simply said, I must be close. <laughs> I must be close. I began to use that as a, as a sign. If most people want to give up right before they make it, then the fact that I feel like giving up is a sign that I must be close. So this is just a few examples I can, you know, give you many more, but I want to I take us deeper uh, into the scriptures uh, and show you how the Apostle Paul actually um, applies this principle. Now, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and several of the letters that he wrote to the churches that he established were actually written from prison. Um, so I want to take you to the book of Philippians, which is a... Uh, a letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi, which he started several years earlier. So if you could put the first scripture up. Now, it's important to understand he's saying this from prison, right? So he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out until completion, to completion until the day of, of Christ Jesus. Now, this 
letter could have started a very different way, right? He's in prison. He's writing to the church. So he could have said, this is not fair. I'm out here doing what God told me to do, and I end up in prison, right? Which is what we do, right? Except we don't write letters now. We'll call anybody who's willing to listen and just tell them, you know, all the things that we're going through, right? But he chose to tell himself a different story. He knew that even though he's in prison, God started a work. And whatever God starts, he's going to complete. And this is one of those scriptures that really comforted me when I was struggling with drug and alcohol abuse, as well as my addiction to pornography. You know, if anybody has ever dealt with any type of addiction before, they understand how discouraging it could be. Because you know it's bad. You want to stop. But you feel overwhelmed by the desire to satisfy a craving that you never truly satisfy. And I have the tendency to put the pressure on myself. Oh, I got to stop. I got to do this. And so this is one of those scriptures that I began to meditate. If you could put it back on, uh, meditate on over and over the work he started, he will complete. The work he started, he will complete. Until one day I felt like God just stopped me and said, who started it? You did. Who's going to complete it? You are. And I remember in that moment just like laughing to myself and I was like, okay, I hear you, God. And the, the, the pressure released in me because the work you started, you will complete. And he eventually did break me free from these things. Next scripture. This is my favorite. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I want to pause right there for a second. See, this is why it's important to understand he's saying this from prison, right? Because he's saying, what has happened to me? Well, what happened to him? Well, he's in prison. So he's saying, me being in prison is actually serving to advance the gospel. How is that possible? Right? But this is what this principle allows us to do. It allows us to see through the eyes of faith. It allows us to see beyond our physical circumstances and into the spiritual. Because if he focuses on his physical reality, what is he going to notice? Well, I'm in prison. It smells. It's dark. The food, you know, sucks. I can't visit my friends. But instead, he notices an opportunity that he otherwise would have missed. And he tells us so in the next verse. He says, so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. So let me explain what's happening here. The imperial guard wasn't any normal guard. They had power. They had influence. They had authority. They had access to Caesar. And so what he realized that by what God was doing is by allowing him to go into prison, it has actually brought him in close proximity to people of power and influence that he otherwise would have never been able to get access to. And so what does he do? He does what he does best. He preaches the gospel to them. Okay. And, you know, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but I, I really like it. It says, the most important person in your life is the one right in front of you. Amen. Right? And I wonder how often do we miss the person right in front of us because we're, we're so concerned about what we're going through. Right? Because that's what could have happened with him. But it, this, when, when we tell ourselves a different story, it allows us to see how God can potentially use the troubles that we're in, the struggles that we're in, to bring us into close proximity to someone who, who, whom he wants us to help, just like he did with Paul. Next scripture. So, you know, the, the, you see how he starts the letter. Now we're going to take you to chapter four, which is the last chapter, to show you how he ends the letter. 
Right away, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. If you don't realize that he's saying this from prison, you read right over this, right? Because the way I think about it is, if you're going through a tough season in your life, and someone you know is going through a good season in their life, and they come to you and say, hey, rejoice, it doesn't really do anything to you. But if someone whom you know has it worse than you, and they come to you and say, hey, rejoice, I say again, rejoice in the Lord always. You see how that's much more impactful? The church in Philippi knew that he wasn't saying is up in some ivory tower, but from the depths of the dungeon, right? So if he in those conditions could still rejoice, then why couldn't they, even though that they were experiencing intense persecution? So this is what this principle allows us to do. It allows us to rejoice amidst our struggles. Next scriptures. And I'm going kind of fast because I got a lot to cover. So <clears throat> don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of those famous scriptures that we love to quote, this peace that surpasses all understanding, right? But again, we forget, or maybe we don't know, that he's saying it's from prison, right? So the circumstances that he's in do not call for peace, but yet he has peace. Right? And why does he have peace? Because he chooses to tell himself, though I'm in prison, I can still make my requests known to God. I can still approach him with thanksgiving. And when we do the same, it, it allows us to keep our peace. And this is what this principle allows us to do, is, is to keep our peace in those moments when the situation that we're in don't really call for peace. Next scripture. <clears throat> And this is how he ends it. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things or otherwise. In other words, tell yourself this story. And this is why I feel it's so important not just to meditate but on, the, on God's word, but to commit it to memory. Because sometimes the intensity of the circumstances that we're dealing with can can be that, can be so intense, so in front of your face that it's hard to think of something else, think of something that's pure or lovely or commendable. But when you have something to go to, right, that, that you've already been meditating on, it becomes much easier for us to make that shift so that we can tell ourselves a different story. So this is how, you know, the Word of God can, can, can help us to, to do this, to exercise this principle. Now I want to show you how worship can do the same. Now, my relationship with worship has evolved tremendously uh, throughout my journey. You know, for the seven years that I've been here at, at Heartway, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up listening to worship music. So my first encounter with worship music was here at Heartway. And I remember I sat in that corner over there, and I was like, uh, what is this? Right? Like, I, I can't bump this in my car, man. I can't ride out to this. <laughs> I was like, what is like, right? But then, you know, I remember looking over to my left, and Holly, I never told you this, but you were one of the people that I saw, hands up, eyes closed, and there was an expression on their faces that, you know, I couldn't help but to ask God, what are they experiencing in this moment that I'm not, right? And so I asked God, help me to connect you, help me to connect with you in this way, 
Help me to experience you in this way. And you'd be surprised. You know, as soon as you open yourself up to the experience of worship, as soon as you come to God with a willing heart, you'd be surprised what he's going to do. And so, slowly but surely, I would start hearing a song here and there. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of like this song. I kind of like that song, right? And there's been many songs that have ministered to me throughout my, uh, my journey, but there's one song in particular that I always say is the song that saved my life. And it might be a little dramatic, but that's how I felt in, in the moment. It's a song that we sung here. Hey, I'll go ahead and take an opportunity to take a little water break. <laughs> that was my cue. That was my cue. <clears throat> but it was a, it's a song that we sung uh, here all the time. We actually sung it this morning. It's called I'll Give Thanks. And it's a song that came to me during my wilderness season while I was going through a lot of different struggles financially, you know, drug and alcohol abuse I mentioned earlier. Right? And <clears throat> the song simply says, I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough because he is more than enough and he knows what I need. And I remember during this season, I would wake up with so much anxiety. I had like this pressure on my chest. And the first thing that I would do is I'd get up and I'd just play this song. And I'd be in, in tears worshiping by myself in, in the middle of my kitchen. And I did this over and over and all throughout the day. And, and to the point where eventually the lyrics started to take root within me and I started to apply what it was saying. I started to thank God when I didn't have enough, trusting and believing that he is more than enough and that he knows what I need. And so when this became the story that I told myself, the anxiety went away. You know, one of the things that can be very discouraging is when is this false idea that God is far away, right? that he doesn't care about what we go through. That he doesn't hear our prayers. Right? But the scriptures say that God inhabits our praises. So think about that word, inhabit. Right? It's, it's defined as to live or to occupy. I love to use the word occupy. When we praise God, he literally occupies that space with us. My favorite part in the song says, In the silence, I choose to believe you are working in the waiting. You see, this is what a different story is all about. It's about what you choose to believe. But that's the beautiful part, right? Because we have a choice. You have a choice. So choose to tell yourself a different story. And what's crazy, especially as I think back of where I begun, or began, I should say, um, you know, I, before I didn't like any of these songs, and now it's literally all I listen to. And I'm at the point now where I'm actually writing my own worship songs to God, and the, the, the experience has become much more intimate, much more personal. So I want to show you again now how the Apostle Paul uses worship to exercise this principle. I just shared with you a couple of scriptures uh, from the book of Philippians. So now I'm going to take you to the, um, to the book of Acts, which shows us where Paul actually started the church in Philippi that he would later write to. If you can put that next. So let me catch you up where we are in the story. So Paul and Silas are on their missionary trip, and they have Timothy and Luke with them, and they get to a point where they don't know where to go. So Paul has a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help me. So he takes that as a sign to go to Macedonia and um, and, you know, as a sign that God is telling him to go to Macedonia. So they arrive at Philippi, which is a major city there. They start preaching the gospel. Some people like it. Some people don't. And the people that don't eventually had them beaten and thrown in jail. And that's where we pick up. 
So it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was, a, such a, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. If you could do the, the next part. When the jailer woke up and saw that the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we are all here. If you could put the, other, the, the previous one, I'm going to go back and forth. So let me explain what, what's happening. There's three things here that really stood out to me, okay? And the first part is where it says, the prisoners were listening to them. You see, when you choose to worship, it says they were singing hymns to God, right? So they were worshiping God. And so think about what worship is, which is a story about how big and great God is, as opposed to worry, which is a story about how big and great our problems are, right? So when you choose to worship as opposed to worry, people are going to notice. It's going to grab people's attention, especially when it's in the middle of your trial, right? Because they didn't start worshiping because they just received a huge blessing from God. It says it was midnight and then they were in prison. So when you worship in the middle of the struggle, when you worship in the middle of the storm, people are going to notice. You know, I really think that there's a lot of people that maybe they, they, they want to believe in God, but they're, they're hesitant, right? Because they don't want to be disappointed. And so they're looking to us to see if this God thing is, is real. And so when, when, you, when you begin to worship in the middle of your struggle, it, it does something to people, right? You, you mean you're going through what you're going through and you're, you still have the song to sing, right? You, you, you're still thanking God, right? Next thing it says, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake. It says, um, oh, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. You see, this would have been different to me if it says, and Paul and Silas's doors was open, and Paul and Silas's chains came loose because they're the ones who are worshiping, right? But you mean to tell me that my worship can break somebody else's chain? You mean to tell me that my worship can help open somebody else's door? And this is especially true when the person that's listening, when the people that are listening or watching are experiencing the very same thing that you are. You see, they weren't there singing to the prisoners. They were prisoners themselves. So if you get diagnosed with cancer and I get diagnosed with cancer and then I see you worshiping God and believing for a healing, what does that do to me? Right? If you're you know, struggling with an addiction and I'm struggling with an addiction and I see you, you know, worshiping God and believing for your breakthrough, what does that do to me? It inspires me to do the same. This is why I feel like we have a responsibility to do that in a work that we talk about all the time and, and to heal ourselves because there's people who are waiting for you to be healed so that they can be healed through you. you know? yeah. uh, next slide, please. So it says, the, la the last thing that stood out to me in this, it says, uh, when the jailer woke up and they saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay, so let me explain what's going on here first before I make my next point. It was Roman law that if a prison guard will allow his prisoners to escape, they, he would be executed um, by his superior the following day. So when he saw the prison door open, he's like, well, these guys are gone. 
you know, I might as well just kill myself. And so Paul, being a Roman citizen, knows what the law is, and he, and he calls out in a loud voice and says, don't harm yourself because we are all here. And that's, again, it would have been different if it would have said, hey, don't harm yourself. Me and Silas are still here. But you mean to tell me that the prisoners who had a chance to escape didn't? And this is what our worship has the power to do. It has the power to bring about transformation. It has the power to bring about the renewing of our mind, and not just in us, but in those around us, so that what they used to want to do, they do no more, right? Because that's what prisoners do. If they have a chance to escape, they escape. But they had been so impacted by what they just witnessed that what they used to do, they didn't want to do anymore. Next. So let's keep reading. So the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Pause for a second. Remember where we started this journey, right? Paul gets a dream about a man in Macedonia and says, come and help me. And now we find out who this man is. You see, God knew that if he would allow, first of all, God knew that there was a man in Philippi that had a heart to believe for God. But he also knew that if he were to allow Paul and Silas to be thrown in jail in order to bring them in close proximity to this man, all right, that they would choose to worship instead of worry. They would choose to tell themselves a, dis- a different story. And in, and in doing so, they were able to bring the gospel. They were able to bring the grace of God to this particular man. It says, um, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And then he, the prison guard, took them, uh, Paul and Silas, that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. I love that because this is a sign of how God works it all together. You see, the, the same person that was just keeping them in prison is now the same person God is using to wash their wounds. That, that really stood out to me because something similar happened with me. You know, I'm, I was about three or four years old, and I was living in Venezuela, and I'm in the supermarket with my mom, and uh, just waiting for you know, her to finish paying. And um, I see this man that uh, sits uh, on the bench outside through the, through the glass doors, and immediately I had this really bad feeling, right? But I'm three, four years old. I don't know what, you know, what to do with that. But sure enough, as soon as we stepped out, he mugged my mom, grabbed the groceries, and ran away. And I remember I just started to cry, and I kept yelling out loud, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. And I remember feeling so weak in that moment, right? And I remember telling myself that I couldn't protect my mother. Now, of course, I'm three or four years old. Nobody would have expected that from me, right? But nevertheless, it's the story that I told myself. And so in 2019, when I was in the middle of my wilderness, I chose to seek therapy for, to help me with my drug and alcohol abuse. But you know, the therapist wanted to talk about my childhood. And I'm like, well, I didn't do drugs when I was a kid. You know? <laughs> but seriously, like, you know, she wanted to talk about anything that could be dramatic. So this incident came up. And, and um, it's funny, the things that, anyways. Uh, 
um, so this incident came up and we eventually did this, this therapy where she had me hold these like knobs in my hand that would vibrate from right to left. I had one in each hand, right? And it would vibrate right to left, left to right. And it was supposed to kind of uh, um, ignite the right and left hemisphere of my brain as she kind of led me into a very meditative state. And I began to recall this incident in much greater detail than I ever had before. And I began to recall exactly what he looked like, what he was wearing, how I felt, I, everything that went on. And after I told her everything that I remember, she simply asked, okay, now what do you see? And then it hit me. He only took the food. <laughs> he only took the food. He didn't take any of the money. He didn't, he didn't go after her jewelry. He only took the food, which told me one thing. He was hungry. He was hungry. And immediately, you know, I, 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 my eyes are closed and I can feel the tears coming down my face. I can hear my therapist crying as well. And I began to be filled with uh, so much gratitude because I have never been so hungry that I have been forced to steal, right? But more importantly, I begin to feel the story that I have been telling myself begin to change. He wasn't a bad person. He wasn't trying to hurt us. He was hungry. And in that moment, I was able to forgive him and I was able to forgive myself. And this is what the, this principle has the power to do, right? It has the power that as we change the story that we've been telling ourselves about the things that have happened to us, about what has been done to us, it has the power to bring about forgiveness. Now, when it happened, the story I told myself was one of weakness. I am weak, right? I, I couldn't protect my mother. And so we have to be very mindful of the things that we tell ourselves because the enemy will use that against us. And that's exactly what he did with me. A couple of years later, maybe roughly five or six years old, and I'm, in a, I'm still in Venezuela. I'm in a place called La Vela, which is, um, uh, stands for the candles, a very small uh, town near the beach where my grandma grew up. And her and her sister had inherited the home that uh, they grew up in. And it was a fairly large property that had a caretaker that would watch over the, the property when, you know, we, whenever we weren't there. And uh, he had a son that was about 10 years older than me, so he would have been about 15 years older or so. And we're in the back of the property, and he, he, he comes up to me. He said, hey, man, you, you want to be strong? Remember, I'm like five years old. So, so I'm like, yeah, of course. Immediately my ears perked up because I had been telling myself I'm weak, right? I, I couldn't protect my mother. So there was nothing more than I wanted in that moment than to be strong. So I said, of course. So he said, well, I know a way that you can be strong, but you got to keep it a secret. So I said, okay, done. So he took me in the bathroom, and he molested me. But even in that moment, God was working. You see, I so believed that what I went through was to make me strong, that when I came out of the bathroom, I wasn't crying, I wasn't in pain, I was actually flexing. I remember I felt like I received a superpower. Now, please don't get me wrong. In no way am I trying to glorify what this man did. Okay, what he did is wrong. And if you've been the victim of abuse, what they've done to you is wrong. Okay, but I'm simply trying to illustrate the power of telling yourself a different story. All my life, I have never been able to truly relate to people who have been molested because for them, it has been a very painful and traumatic experience. But for me, that wasn't the case. 
Right? It wasn't until I grew up and I got a little bit older that I looked back and realized what had happened. But by then, I had been living my story of strength for so long that I simply just forgave and continued to live that story of strength because I realized how much it has served me. As a matter of fact, when I was in therapy, this incident also came up. And she immediately wanted to focus on this, but I wanted to focus on my mom being mugged because for me, that was traumatic, right? And we were going back and forth. She was adamant, so was I, and I, I understand her point, right? If you ask 100 people what's more traumatic, well, child watches his mom get mugged or same child gets molested, well, they're going to pick the molestation, right? But for me, that wasn't the case. And so the point that I'm trying to make that what sh should have been the more traumatic incident wasn't. And the only difference is the story I told myself. When my mom got mugged, I said, I'm weak. But when I got molested, I said, I'm strong. And the beautiful part is when God worked it all together. Fast forward about 10 years later, when I've been living in Florida for several years, but we would often go back to um, Venezuela to spend the summers with my uh, grandparents. And a good portion of the summer, we would uh, spend it in La Vela, you know, the same place, same house where this incident originally happened. And this particular summer, I got in an altercation with this kid who was about my age. And, um, you know, we got to the point where we were going to fight. Now, I thought that he, that was going to be a one-on-one -on -one fight, but he's there with his friends, his brothers. He's in his hometown, obviously. And I'm not. I'm just there with my little brother. And I quickly realized I'm about to get jumped by about eight or nine people. Yeah, yeah. But it was just then when the person, the kid who molested me, who is now a 25-year-old man, happened to go to the basketball court where this was happening, saw what was going on, stood in front of me, and protected me. And so as I look back, I realized that that duality, that polarity of good and evil, that's in all of us. Why does a 15-year-old molest a 5-year-old? Well, probably because it was done to him. Now, I don't know that to be true in this case, but what I do know is that the same person who molested me in one season is the same person God used to protect me in another season. Do you see how God works it all together? Just like he did with Paul in the prison guard. One moment he's keeping him in prison, the next he's washing his wounds. So this is what I want us to do, and I'll close with this. If you have been lied to, if you have been betrayed, abused, or hurt in any way, tell yourself a different story and forgive because the same person who hurt you in one season in your life could be the same person who God uses to bless you, to protect you in another season in your life. Or maybe you're the one that lied. Maybe you're the one that abused or inflicted the pain. Forgive yourself. Tell yourself a different story because God can use you, still use you to be a blessing, even to the very people whom you hurt. But it all starts with the story you tell yourself. Let me pray for you. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing up. God is not lost on me how difficult, how heavy this might be for some of us to carry. So I ask you, Jesus, to lighten the load. 
because you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So strengthen us, Lord, empower us to tell ourselves a different story, a story of faith and victory, a story of love and joy. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us and help us to forgive ourselves so that people all over would say of us, these are they who change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Harway. We love you. We appreciate you. Have a good day.